0: Over the past several months kim and i've been watching a lot of series together and, and pretty much anything touched by julian fellows were there whether it's Downton abbey or uh dr thorne and, and one of the things that it always strikes us is that there are two different experiences in humanity those who are highborn and those who are the the the, the service class and, and i remember one day kim said to me I, I would have loved to live in those times and i said upstairs or, or downstairs it creates a very very different experience and, and as you listen to the conversations and the way they understood themselves, not just their times, it really begins to strike you how they have this concept of being highborn, that you're a, a duke or a duchess, a lord or a lady, that you're royalty. And, and because of the coincidence of your birth, you inherit so much wealth and power, title, position, opportunity. And I, I've wondered how many times people who watched the upstairs, wondered why was I born in my particular condition? Why was I born in my state rather than in theirs? And and it would be great, wouldn't it, to have a legacy, to be of the right bloodline, to be highborn, to have a, a legacy and inheritance passed on to you simply because you're the son or the daughter of the right person, because you carry the right name. And yet the reality is that that's exactly the imagery that the scriptures give us, that we are in relationship to God through Jesus, now sons and daughters, that we have this incredible legacy, that we have this inheritance has, that has been passed on to us. But the reality is that, that most of us are not living as if we're highborn in our faith. We're not living as if we have receive this incredible legacy we're not living in the fullness of this inheritance and i just want to take a a few moments to dive into scriptures and 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 address this particular question how is it possible That if you're the recipient of all the generosity and all the goodness of God, that you're living a life where you're struggling every single day, where you feel spiritually anemic, and you're not living a life that would be described in fullness or abundance, but you're just in the survival mentality, uh, afraid of, of death, afraid of failure, and just trying to hold on and exist. I want you to look with me in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 1, read the first seven verses together. And I want you to see that that Paul actually addresses this very experience, this this reality that you and I can be the recipients, the the, um, inheritors of all generosity and goodness of God and yet live our lives as if we are vacant of it, as if we are not deserving of it or um, not the beneficiaries of it let's look together. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set, Had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now, I think in the time in which we're living, it's important to address the the tension of the language in these particular verses. The language of slavery is used here in the scriptures, and it's inescapable that the Bible uses the imagery of the reality of slavery to talk about our condition in this life. And I want us to realize that the, the conversation of social justice, the conversation of Inequality, the conversation of, of slavery and the history of slavery is not a uniquely American conversation. It's not a uniquely American problem. You see, the reality is that we don't have a history where humanity has been free and there is a nuance of slavery in our story. The reality is that human history is a story of slavery and the rare exception is the story Of freedom. Across the world and throughout every generation, we find time and time again that human beings seem determined to hold each other in captivity, to create systems of bondage and slavery. Whether it's political slavery, racial slavery, economic slavery, it doesn't seem to matter to us what medium or mechanism we use. We find some way to oppress Because we somehow have this mentality that if someone is not oppressed then i am not free and you see this even in political transitions and and the turmoil in different nations that the persecuted become the persecutors and 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 so when the scriptures are written it's inescapable that the language of slavery would be used this is the human story i remember years ago when i was writing one of my books i I I put the statement in there that Jesus was born a slave. And my editor pushed back and said, you need to change this, Jesus was not born a slave. And I pushed back and said, you do not believe Jesus is born a slave because you do not see the world from a different perspective than a Western view of the world. But the reality is that the people of Israel were captured, they were dominated by the Roman Empire, they were not free. Just because the slavery seems to have more conveniences and, and have more, more spectrum of a spectrum of freedom, it does that mean that you are free? You're a slave within the context of your oppressor's willingness to allow you to live with a sense of freedom, and this is true across the world. It's intruded in Western history. I, I I remember when Kim and I years ago went to the British Museum in London and. And they kept showing us all the artifacts in the British Museum, and and this was British history, but everything in that museum was from another country that they had conquered or dominated at some point. And I remember saying out loud in that moment, wait a minute, this isn't British history. This is the history of the world conquered by England. When are you gonna give all this stuff back? And Kim was so angry with me, she goes, could you just be quiet? But the reality is that United Kingdom was not united, it was conquered. We need to realize that Europe was not united, it was conquered. We need to realize that across the world, from from New Zealand and Australia, from the the, the Maoris to uh, the Aboriginals, every nation has a nation of oppression, of destruction, and slavery, and bondage. India, that is so oftentimes romanticized with uh, the religion of Hinduism, is one of the most atrocious examples of apartheid and racism in the world. People oppressed because of a belief system that you are born into poverty, born into oppression, born into bondage, and that it is right for it to be so throughout your life. So we need to realize that the world knows a history of slavery, and that is the human story. And I I know some people say, well, yeah, that's the result of religion. If we just had atheism, we would change the construct of the human story, except all you need to look at is the former Soviet Union and China, two nations constructed from an atheistic perspective that oppressed its people, 150 million people in the Soviet Union were virtually oppressed and controlled by a government that believed it had the right to tell people how to live. Over a billion people in China oppressed by a government that does not believe that people should have the right to choose how to live. Let's stop living in the illusion that slavery is the exception. Freedom is the exception. But the extraordinary thing about what the scriptures tell us is that while someone may be able to impose a circumstance on you, they cannot steal your freedom at the deepest level. There are some men and women that you simply cannot steal their freedom. You can capture them, you can place them in bondage, you can put chains on their arms and feet, but you will never make them a slave because their souls are free and they know who they are and they will not allow anyone else to shape who they are. What I think is fascinating and so powerful is that Paul addresses the most oppressive positioning, being a slave, and says, now I want you to understand how your freedom will be fully experienced. Because the tragedy in life, far more than someone else trying to steal your slavery, your freedom, and to impose slavery on you, is for you to relinquish your freedom and to live as if you're a slave when you have already been set free. Listen again what he says. In verse 1, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. So he's telling us, what I want you to realize, first of all, is that you're actually an heir, that you've been made an heir. And, and if you go just a few verses ahead, he tells us that we have been brought into adoption as daughters and sons of the creator of the universe. So maybe I wasn't high born and maybe you were not high born and maybe we were not born of the right bloodline and we have no titles, or no position. But I want you to know the moment you enter into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into the legacy of God. The creator of the universe has now declared you his daughter, his son, and you are now the recipient of the full inheritance of God. Now, I I have to make a little side note here because I've known so many families that when someone of wealth has passed away, the family moves into unbelievable tension and conflict. In fact, I've seen families torn apart because they're fighting over the inheritance of their father, which is what is so strange to me is that you would fight with your family over wealth that you did not earn. As if you deserved it all. But what I want you to realize is that it's not like that with God. You see, the reason people fight over their inheritance is that there's a limited amount of wealth that's available to those people. And everybody wants it all. But here's the amazing thing with God. God is not limited in his generosity. Just because he pours out his generosity on my life does not now make it impossible for him to pour out his generosity on your life. God never runs out of goodness. God never runs out of his generosity. God never runs out of his provision. God can pour into every one of us fully everything he has, everything he is, which is extraordinary that all of us are chosen by him to be his sons and daughters and to live as heirs, recipients of all that it means to be his children. But, but Paul says, but, but as long as the heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, even though he owns the whole estate. So what he's saying is that, that there is a, a particular condition in which we can live where our reality that we experience does not match the reality of which we have been given. He says, even though we are the owners of the entire estate, we may still be living like a slave. And and the the nuance here is he says, it's because the heir is underage. And and so what you discover is that even if you're high born, even if you are born of the right bloodline, even if you have title and position until you're of age, you have no power. The wealth is not yours. The title is of no benefit. The the inheritance that has been passed on to you will be taken care of by a caretaker, by a guardian, until you are of age. And then when you come of age, everything that was already yours now becomes yours. So how does that apply to our own spiritual journey? How does that apply to our relationship with God and the inheritance he has for us, for us to want to live in his fullness? The one advantage of physical age is that eventually you'll get there. If you're six and you're an old soul, you'll get to 18 at the same time as if you're six and you're childish the same number of years and months and weeks and days and hours will pass, whether you mature or whether you stay immature. So in that sense, there's an advantage to biological growth moving toward your inheritance because eventually you'll get to 18 or 21 or whatever the age from in which you will receive the inheritance is designed. But it's not so in your own spiritual maturity. See, spiritual maturity has no relationship to time. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, you may be actually living like a slave because you're still underage. And so you haven't stepped into the experience of your inheritance. And maybe you're a 12 year old, emotionally, relationally, psychologically, spiritually, when you come to faith, even though you're 26 years old. And then some time passes and, and you, you learn a little bit of the scriptures, you pay attention a little bit to the promises, you, you, you pay a little less attention to the responsibilities, you, 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 you gain a little bit of it but you really do not apply it to your life. You, you don't take seriously the journey towards spiritual maturity. And time passes, and time passes, and and you go from 16 to 21, and 21 to 23, and 23 to 26, and 26 to 29, and 29 to 34, and, and it seems as if you are spiritually paralyzed. You never move into the fullness that God promises. And you become bitter toward God because you you, you decide that this thing isn't real, that the promises aren't real, that, that what God actually describes in the scriptures about how we can live our lives in abundance, how we can live our lives with strength and power, how we can live our lives with joy and hope, how we can live our lives as sons and daughters who have received the inheritance of God in Christ. And so we become bitter toward God. Because we've waited so much time. But what we don't realize is that we haven't waited so much time. We have wasted so much time. That just because we've known Jesus for five years or 10 years or 15 years or, or dare I say, it, 20 years, that doesn't mean you've made any progress in your spiritual journey. It may mean that you're still underage. And one of the great tragedies would be to leave this life and never have moved from being underaged in your spirit to a maturity that allows you to experience the fullness of God's inheritance for your life. He says, as long as the heir is underage, he is no different than a slave, though he owns the whole estate. Listen to the caution. You may spend the wealth of your life on earth, enjoying the benefits of being underage. Because there, there are some benefits. Come on, let's be really honest. But even legally, there are benefits. There, there are crimes you commit when you're young that you're not held accountable as an adult. And, and so when you're underage, you can explain it by, well, I'm just a kid. You know, it's the foolishness of youth. Well, you, you know, I, I'm not an adult yet. And, and I think a lot of us, we like the loophole of adolescence and immaturity. We like the spiritual loophole of saying, well, you know, I'm not mature yet. Because you can avoid the responsibility of spiritual maturity, but as long as you avoid the responsibility of spiritual maturity, you will avoid the inheritance that comes with spiritual maturity. It says the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So also, when we were underage, We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. I I, I wanna just pause here for a moment because that that statement, if you just let it sink in, will blow your mind. It, it, It says that each one of us, though we may be unaware of it, that we are under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. That when we are immature, we are vulnerable to the power of spiritual darkness. That when we are immature, we do not have the strength, the, the spiritual strength and vitality to overcome even the smallest battles that will ensue in the unseen reality. And, and you guys know, if you know me, that I don't spend a lot of time talking about, you know, uh, like Satan or spirits or demons. That, that's just not like really the world that I I, I try to paint and, and because I think so much of the problems in our life have nothing to do with, with the devil, it has everything to do with our stupidity. It has everything to do with our decisions. It's not the devil; it's your decisions that are destroying your life. But I do not want you to overlook this. Says when we were in slavery, we were under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. I, I have this app that it's, it says it's called Next Door. It was the most interesting day. I turn on Next Door. Usually, it's you know somebody's cat. Is in my front door, or, or there's some homeless guy walking down the street, or it's people complaining about crime. And, and, and one day I turn on my next door app and it says, Does anyone know an exorcist? Because I have someone who uh, is apparently demon possessed. And it was clearly a person who was not a Christian. And then someone else responds, Hey, have you thought about maybe getting him a good therapist? That, wow, this is an incredible moment to listen to a conversation in my neighborhood by people who are irreligious going it seems that there's something dark and clearly spiritual happening here even though i do not understand it and i don't know what to do i just had a text message from a friend a business man who who is incredibly successful incredibly educated ivy league education multi-million dollar company and sends me a text i just met someone and their family and um He is speaking with voices that are not his, and uh, his family says that he's demonized. What do I do? This is my first time. (laughs) It's crazy. I'm living in the year 2020 with all of this modernization, with the advancements of technology, with all the innovation, and we're still having conversations over text about it seems as if there's some kind of spiritual force at work here, holding this person bondage, holding them in slavery and in captivity. And whatever you understand about these kinds of things, I want you to realize that the power that God wants to place within you to face whatever you have to face, to face whatever darkness is around you, to face whatever forces may confront you, that power doesn't actualize when you choose to remain spiritually immature. It only becomes a reality when you move to spiritual maturity. Let's go on to verse four. It says, but when the time set had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, speaking of Jesus, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And let me just add to daughtership. That, that the scripture is telling us that because of Jesus, see, this is why Jesus came. He came so that you and I could be reacclimated into the family of God. And I say acclimated because we were designed, we were created, God's intention for us was for us to be his sons and daughters. We were the ones who severed the relationship. God is the one working to reclaim us to himself. And so Jesus has come, God's son, so that we could become his sons and daughters again. He goes on to tell us that, that when, but because we are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts And that spirit cries out, Abba, Father. So God places in us this intimacy with him. And and I love how how Paul connects it here. He's not talking about some doctrine that you need to believe or some piece of information that you need to accept or some truth that will, that will somehow radicalize you or a doctrine that will change you. It's a relationship that will transform you when you have this connection to God who is your father. And you can cry out to him, Abba, Father, because you know that he knows you and you've connected him in intimacy and the power of his love has changed you. And when that happens, it says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. See, This is an undeniable promise. This is a declaration of reality that no matter where you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter how you feel about yourself, you are no longer a slave. And I want you to hear that because no nation can declare it to your soul. No policy will ever change this reality within you. You have to decide who you will be. Will you be free? Will you declare, I am no longer a slave, I am free. And I am free because I am God's child. And because I am God's child, I am also an heir. And if I am an heir, then I need to move toward maturity so I can receive the full benefit of his inheritance to me. I don't wanna die a child. I wanna live like a man. I wanna live in the fullness of that maturity. It's cute when you're a little boy or a little girl, but it's just not that endearing when you're clearly a man or a woman, but you're still living like a child. It's a beautiful thing and Jesus' commends it to be childlike. It's a tragedy when you choose to become childish. And one of the ways that you can know that you're moving to maturity, see, when you're a child, you make everyone else responsible for your growth. When you're a child, you blame everyone else for your failures. When you're a child, You abdicate the power of your choices and your decisions. You want the freedom to choose and then the freedom to choose the outcome of those choices. But that's not real. It's not real life. See, when you're an adult, when you're mature, you take responsibility for your life. When you're an adult, you take responsibility for your failures. When you're an adult, You take responsibility for your choices. When you're an adult, you understand that every choice has a benefit or a consequence. When you're an adult, you understand that you have been entrusted both with privilege and with responsibility. When you're an adult, you understand, you embrace, and you actualize your power. It's crazy. I'm an immigrant from a small country called El Salvador. Born in the capital called San Salvador. Grew up on a street called Calle de San Salvador. Played at a park called El Parque de San Salvador. And so my address as a kid was the nation of the Savior in the city of the Holy Savior, on the street of the Holy Savior, and played at the park of the Holy Savior. And I had the right address, but. I didn't have the right bloodline. I wasn't highborn. I was surrounded by the story of Jesus, but I did not know Jesus. It was almost as if God placed me in a place in the world so that I couldn't miss it. And yet I missed it completely. It took another 20 years before who Jesus was made sense to me took 20 years before I understood that I didn't have to live my life as the consequence of my birth. In fact, that's when the language of being born a second time is so powerful, to be born again. See, I think a lot of us, we, we would just do anything to do it all over again. We would, we would just give anything to get a second chance at life. that's exactly what jesus gives us says look let's just wipe out whatever are the consequence of your first birth and let's make this second birth the one that defines you see when you're born again when you let jesus bring you to life you are now of the right bloodline because 2000 years ago jesus shed his blood so that we could become the sons and daughters of god we are now highborn, because our father is the heavenly father who longs to pour out his goodness his benefits his generosity to us <laughs> and the beautiful thing about it is that You don't get an inheritance until, well, your father dies or the one who accumulated the wealth passes away. And and God took care of that, too. Because when Jesus died on the cross, his death and then his resurrection was the unleashing of his inheritance to every one of us who would receive it. Maybe you're listening right now. And maybe you're a person of faith. You believe in Jesus, you've believed in Jesus for so long, maybe you don't even remember when you did not believe in Jesus, but you have to be really honest and say, I'm not living in this fullness. I'm I'm not living in the richness of what God describes in the scriptures. And, And maybe there's even a little bitterness toward God because God has never come through for you. But this moment, This moment might have brought a moment of clarity and you realize, oh, the problem is that I'm still underaged spiritually. I'm I'm still choosing immaturity because immaturity has been a safe place for me. So I live my life blaming others rather than taking responsibility. Maybe today is the day that you choose to move to maturity You take responsibility for your life. You take responsibility for your choices. You take responsibility for your failures. You take responsibility for your future. You say, God, I'm ready to grow up because I want the full measure of your inheritance. And I realize, I understand now that I cannot receive the full measure of your inheritance if I do not embrace the full measure of my responsibility. You are an heir, but you can choose to live like a slave. The choice is yours. But my hope and my prayer for you is that today you say it's time to grow up. And maybe you're listening right now and you've never crossed the line of faith and given your life to Jesus. I want you in this moment to muster up all the trust that you can, all the faith that you can, to believe there's a God who loves you and that he stepped into human history and that his name is Jesus. That he walked among us and lived a sinless and beautiful and perfect life. That he died on the cross for your sin and for mine. That he rose from the dead so that we might be free so that no one could ever make us a slave again. And that more than anything else, you have to decide. I will not be a slave, I will be free. I will choose the freedom that Jesus offers me. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said, he who the son sets free is free indeed. Step into Jesus and allow God to bring the freedom that only he can bring. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus, if you're ready to cross the line of faith, I want you right now just to whisper this declaration to God right now. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Wherever you are right now, just whisper to him, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus has one intention, to set us free. We, as humanity, we have a history of slavery. We are the creatures that invented bondage. We are the ones who designed chains and prisons. God is the God who sets humanity free. Jesus has come to break every chain to unlock every door to break apart everything that holds you down, that keeps you in bondage, that makes you a slave. From fear to doubt to guilt to shame, Jesus has come to break them so that you and I could be free. Let's live our inheritance. If no one's ever told you before, when you come to Jesus, you are highborn. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I wanna encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply to your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also wanna encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver, an investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.